0: Uh, I managed to read a book. I don't know about you, but my productivity levels are down. Uh, But I managed to finish this book uh, last year, which uh, I found really interesting. It's uh, not a Christian book. It's about uh, the lady's neuroscientist, come psychologist, uh, and she just writes about the brain. And sometimes I just drift uh, away from the New Testament. I should probably head towards the Old Testament sometime (laughs) um, (laughs) instead of into neuroscience. But hey, uh, this is where I landed up. And she's got this wonderful quote in the book. And I just want to read it to you. And it says this. The power of words over your biology can span great distances. Right now, I can text the words, I love you, from, she's writing from the United States, to my close friend in Belgium. And even though she cannot hear my voice or see my face, I will change her heart rate, her breathing, and her metabolism. Or someone could send uh, something ambiguous to you, like, is your door locked? Maybe not an issue in Toronga, but in Auckland it is. Uh, And odds are that it would affect your nervous system in an unpleasant way. Your nervous system can be perturbed, not only across distances, but also across the centuries. If you've ever taken comfort from ancient texts, such as the Bible, you've received body budgeting assistance. I love that line. Body budgeting assistance from people long ago. Uh, Books, videos, and podcasts can warm you or give you the chills. These effects might not last long, but research shows that we can all tweak one another's nervous system quickly with mere words in very physical ways that go beyond what you might suspect. Uh, And I read that and I just, I was really moved by it because she goes on to talk about how language shapes us and and helps us to experience the world. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find myself in a context where uh, just in public discourse, words are, wow, they can be really helpful and they can be really harmful. I listen to some conversations between different kinds of people and I think, whoa, this is not a good conversation to listen to. I, I don't really appreciate the tone or the words that have been used and, and I find myself struggling with that. Uh, but now to get back to the ancient world uh, and there's this lovely drawing. Uh, if you want to go to, uh, this one. Uh, this is Alexander, and, and there's a Greek uh, saying at the bottom there, and it says, Alexander worships God. theon. And uh, this was found in a dorm room in Rome, uh, just kind of middle of the second century. And uh, Alexander is a Christian, uh, and I don't know if you can see, but there's a cross there, and there's someone on the cross, uh, and the head of an ass or a donkey. Uh, This was uh, drawn to ridicule Alexander for being a Christian. Uh, Alexander wasn't popular. Uh, He's got his left hand raised there. He should have his right hand raised. Uh, It's just another way of mocking these Christians who worship this God. And in the second century, the Christians faced an onslaught of words. They were publicly ridiculed. They were shamed uh, just for being a Christian. There wasn't uh, anything particularly bad about them, although uh, a lot of people misunderstood what they were about and who they were and what they were doing. Uh, And this kind of puts in picture format uh, what one Peter is wrestling with as he writes his letter. He's writing his letter to a large geographical location and the Christians are being slandered. They're being maligned. They're being reviled. They are suffering of public shame from people who don't understand how you can worship someone that the great and mighty Roman Empire crucified. Uh, Surely Rome showed that it was the boss, that it was king, that it was top dog when they crucified Jesus, a commoner, a nobody. And so the Christians were being abused. And so Peter has to write into a situation to say something helpful. Say something that's going to help these Christians remain faithful. Say something that's going to help these Christians deal with the the public shame that they're facing, the ridicule that they're facing. And so Peter does what he has to do. And he appeals to the example of Jesus He says to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And now he appeals to the example of the specific example of the cross. He says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when he was abused. He did not return abuse when he suffered. He did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly now that's a that, that's a pretty heavy passage, and it's kind of you, you, the temptation is to think, wow well, man, i don't think many of us are going through anything like that yet. It might come one day but, but 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 wow that's a that's a powerful example of someone who knows what the right thing to do is and is committed to it, Jesus who gives us this exemplary model, this paradigm, this example of someone who refuses to retaliate, of somebody who refuses to respond in a kind of way that would have been very acceptable. Uh, Some of the, the public discourse in Rome is just toxic. The way they talk about people and uh, the way they engage in political discourse, this was considered an art. How can you rip someone to shreds with your words? They write treaties on how to do this well. How can you publicly decimate someone's character? And Cicero and Quintilian and uh, even Aristotle to some degree, they write about how to do this well. Like, God, what are the dirt I can manufacture about thomas and then just publicly shame him and slay him. and if you did it well then you'd walk out to the applause of the crowd wow look at the way you showed your power it's where the notion of the the pen is mightier than the sword comes from because you can write these words and you can decimate people's lives now we're not quite in this situation And I don't know if we need such a a radical example, but the way we use our words is still important. And I want us to reflect on that. I want us to reflect on the language that we use. Uh, Peter carries on with this kind of instruction to the churches and uh, he subverts the notion of reciprocity. Uh, In the ancient world, if I do something to you, you have to do uh, something similar back to me. So if I say to Thomas, hey, Thomas, uh, here is a chocolate bar. And then I have a notebook and I write it down. I have given Thomas one chocolate bar. He now owes me. And I get to dictate the terms in which he repays me. Uh, So the greater the gift or the deed that I do for him, the more indebted he is to me. Now that works both positively and negatively. So if I harm him, if I was to uh, think of something ludicrous, uh, hurt Jet, you know, if I had to hurt or or, or say something bad about Hannah, you know, then he would be offended and he would have to make a note of that. You know, I have to plan for this. How am I going to get him back? How am I going to do something that's going to be of worse. Consequences for him so that he really feels it, so that he knows he should never do this to me ever again. And that's the kind of reciprocal context in the ancient world. If something good's done, you owe something good back. If something's bad done, you owe something bad back. But Peter here talks about breaking this cycle. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Now, this would have been considered laughable in the ancient world. Are oh, you joking? Andrew said something horrible. Say something horrible back. But no, the, the onus is on me to now break the cycle and say, you know what? You're a good guy. Or you've done well. You've done a work well. You've served people faithfully. You've And this notion of breaking this cycle, he says, It is for this that you were called that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and, uh, sorry, that's supposed to say to seek good days, not see good days. Uh, Let them keep their tongues from evil and lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from what is destructive and do what is beneficial. Let them seek peace and pursue it. And here's this interesting notion of being a peacemaker. Of seeing situations and going, wow, this is the way it is and we can probably see how this is going to pan out. But what can we do to bring change here? What can we do that will shape or shift the dynamics so that it's not just bad and bad and descending? Because the thing about this reciprocity code in the ancient world is everyone's trying to outdo one another. That's why Paul says outdo one another in doing and showing honor he's trying to say hey the world will tend to descend and if you've ever seen an argument on facebook just a matter of time when you're watching it you're going whoa sooner or later someone's going to mention hitler it's just going to happen." oh there it is and you and you think oh do we have to go there do we have to become as bad as we can be or is there a way to shape things is there a way to change things and I think this is what Peter's is calling us to our words are powerful they can heal they can hurt they can do things I uh, uh, was preaching through the book of James once in the church that I used to lead back home and uh, we had a group of artists in our community and uh, I used to give them a brief, say, so, right, we're, we're preaching through the book of James, uh, so go away and construct some piece of art or some interactive thing, and we had a massive hall that we used to meet in, and we used to set up little stations, kind of like Stations of the Cross, and each artist had a station. Uh, and then we divide the community up into groups of 10 or however many stations there were. And then we'd have a bell and you had like 10 or 15 minutes at a particular station. And then you'd hear the bell and everybody would move clockwise. And uh, my one friend, David, uh, he was a, he was put out there artistically. And I thought, David, here's the challenge for you, the book of James. But can you do it? And he's like, yes, I can do it. And so uh, I kind of trusted them and gave them the freedom to do what they wanted to do, which is always a scary thing as a pastor, trusting people in a, in a public space. And I rocked up on the Sunday night and there David just had two tables like this and they just had a sheet over them. And so I didn't think much about it. I thought that'll be great. David's good, he's a good guy, I trust him. Uh, but, but David was dressed a little awkwardly. You know, he was dressed in full army gear. And I was a bit worried about that. and uh, I said, you good for tonight, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. This is going to blow people away. I'm like, okay, cool, I trust you. Uh, and so we get there and he's, uh, in the actual, when the, the, the stations have started, David's gone and put like paint on his face and he is really looking dressed to kill, uh, which is not a great thing in a community when you're trying to inspire life and flourishing and goodness and that sort of thing. And. Uh, And I thought, I'll just go to David's table first. And he opens the cover of the table. And I nearly had a heart attack because there's all these weapons. And I'm sitting there thinking, James, there's no military images in James. There's no spiritual warfare. You can't spiritualize this. Where are you going, David? And he begins to talk about the harm that this particular knife can do. And this particular crossbow and this particular weapon. And I'm freaking out going, I've got 10 minutes here. Okay, if, if I divide the group, we can split people off. Yeah. And I, I could have a quiet word with Dave. I know it's going to hurt his feelings. But really, I need to pull the plug on this one fast. And David is just going into great detail about the harm that each one of these weapons can do. And I am dying inside thinking, what is going on here? And then he covers it up and says, now let me show you even more dangerous weapons. And I'm, I'm about to cry, scream, do something. I have all these emotions, which I'm not quite used to. Um, and he takes it over and there's all these post-it notes. And am like, what are post-it notes? Yeah. And he turns it around and it says, slut. And he turns it around and it says, stupid. He turns around and says fat. He turns around, it says ugly. And all these words. And David's now got a tear, and I've got a tear. And I'm like, what is happening? How is this connected to James? And he reads a passage from James about the power of the tongue to bring life. The power of the tongue to, to bless God. And yet, we sometimes use it to curse those who are created in the image of God. And David's sitting at the table, and he's just turning post notes, And I'm looking around, and everyone's now crying. I'm crying. I'm like, this is the most powerful thing I've ever experienced in my life. David, you're a genius. I love you so much. David. Thank you for being part of my team, David. The internal discourse has changed. And then he stops. And he reads this little excerpt from a professor of psychology at, the, at one of our local universities who's just reflecting on 50 years of being a psychologist. And he goes, you know, every week I have people in my office who talk to me about things that were spoken over them 5 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and he goes on. He says, in 50 years, we've just been dealing with the onslaught of words that have been spoken. And I kind of think, what would change if we adopted a way of talking that was different, that didn't retaliate? They didn't descend. Peter has this one little sentence. He says, honor everyone. Love the family of Christians. Revere God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. I've uh, spent a lot of time with just that phrase, honor everyone. Because in the ancient world, you didn't honor everyone. You worked out what was most advantageous for you and you honored that person. You spoke well of that person. It's very strategic. Oh, if I know Joseph and I speak well of Joseph publicly, then that brings me uh, points. then, Then he owes me. And so I can use that to my advantage and I can advance. Climbing the status ladder so that everybody knows how amazing I am. And yet Peter says, no, 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 we don't look at people as to what they can do for us. We just honor. Which means to treat them in a virtuous manner. Which means to treat them in a way that is befitting the status of being created by God. honor everyone now again this is not something easy to do Uh, and i don't think peter imagines that this would be easy to honor people to to always take the high road and and uh, i think if you if you hear me saying this is easy you've misunderstood me but i think that this is what we're called to because somehow we have to change the way we engage and we have to change the way that uh, people maybe outside the church engage. But to do that, we need a good example. Uh, and so Peter carries on uh, in this next passage. And he talks in uh, chapter 3, 13 to 16. Uh, and he says, now, who will harm you if you're eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed uh, by God, not by those who are trying to hurt you. Uh, do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated. But in your hearts... Sanctify Christ as Lord. And this is the crucial part. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence or respect. Keep your conscience clear. When I was an undergrad, I used to do a university debates. Uh, at the university, and uh, we used to set up debates with the rationalist society and uh, have good discussions with atheists and uh, people with different worldviews. Uh, and I remember uh, this one discussion where I just thought to myself, no, this is a really poor argument this person's putting up. And so I went for it and deconstructed the argument piece by piece. And just thrashed them in this debate and I was feeling so smug afterwards it was this moment of Jesus has won a great victory over this stupid worldview (laughs) and I walked out and it was I haven't had many of these occasions but this impression of just God being kind of disappointed of Sean saying, you won a battle, but lost a war. And this moment, and I was like, what do you mean? I just cleaned up there. It's like, no, Sean, you were engaging with a person and you just shamed that person, which all oh, my great intellectual prowess wasn't what was needed. And Peter here says, in the context of Christians who are being abused for their faith, and I wasn't being abused for my faith, but in this context, Peter says, if you're going to respond to people, you need to do it with two virtues, gentleness and reverence. I thought it was Dominance. I thought it was power. We respond with intellectual rigor. We despond with academic excellence. We respond with, look at how much reading and research I've done. I can nail this point. And Peter's like, no, no. We remember we're engaging with people. You do it with gentleness and respect. Now that word gentleness is a tricky one. Because whenever I ask people to define it, it's kind of like we know what it is, but it, it, it's kind of hard to put into words. And, and and my best illustration is if you ever pick up a newborn, you're gentle. You're aware of your own strength and how you can hurt someone who's kind of powerless. You're aware that you need to hold their head, because that thing's a bit floppy when they first come out. And they're small. And you just got to be gentle. You got to not overpower. You could, but you don't. It's interesting that Jesus was called gentle. The one who created the universe, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who has all power. And yet people described him as gentle. He wasn't overpowering in his strength. He was always respectful in every engagement. It wasn't about winning an argument. It was about engaging with a person. Imagine what kind of a community we could be if we had did that Now I'm not saying anybody here has been uh, having some kind of rant at somebody. I'm not pointing fingers You know, I'm not trying to at least Uh, I don't don't know where we're at I don't know what we're uh, what we've been doing online or privately or whatever, but I know that There's too much toxic discourse in this world and uh, I know that Scripture is calling us to say, hey, we can, we can be a healing balm. We can be a supportive person that brings words of life. And, and I don't think that that means we need to compromise what we believe or, or compromise our convictions. Uh, I think it's more in the way we deliver those. Uh, Ephesians has got this great line where it says, speak the truth in love. Love needs to be the context of truthful communication. It's kind of like Paul saying, well, when that person leaves the conversation, they should at least know that they're loved. And agreement doesn't necessarily mean love. You can hold different views and still be committed to someone, still care about someone. And so I feel like the church has this wonderful gift of, of a God who speaks gently, of a God who embodies this gentleness and who can be a great uh, model and an example to us of how to engage, even in rough situations where most of us aren't in those kind of abusive situations where well, at least I hope not uh, where, we're, where we're being abused for our faith or persecuted for our faith but we can be in a context to say, hey, How can we bring light and love into this? How can we bring hope into this? How can we bring gentleness and respect just by the way we speak to other people? How can we build them up and encourage them? Because as Joseph alluded to, man, the last couple of years have been tough. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling it. And we've all been going through so much. And, and I sense that this, this pressure and the stress that we've all been under just creates a shorter fuse with a lot of people. It just, and, and the temptation to respond badly just because everything's bad at the moment is just there. But what if we lean into God's grace and His kindness and say, God, okay, this is an area where I just want to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. I just want to be a little bit more like you. I just want to be the one who doesn't condemn or pull down. I just want to be the one who just provides a little loving support. A word of encouragement. And it's not just that we need to stop doing something bad. It's that we just need to grow into something really beautiful. Bless those who are around you. I always marvel at the word blessed because it's the Greek word "eulogeo," which is where we get our word eulogy from. And a eulogy is to speak well of the dead. And yet the New Testament is, no, speak well of the living. Speak well to the living. Speak well to people. Speak in a way that will benefit them. In a way that will build them up. In a way that will guide them maybe with words of wisdom. An invitation hey here's a better way and, and that's what I sense Peter is offering us he's calling us and saying come on church there's a more beautiful way there's a way that will benefit and bless this world which is too often characterized by something harsh uh, I don't read novels I wish I did uh, but I don't and so uh, it's always nice when one of the books I am reading quotes a novel. Because then I can quote the novel and, and sound like I read it, but I didn't. But this is from a novel written by a guy with the name of Akri called Birds of Heaven. And he writes this. He says, it sometimes seems to me that our days are poisoned with too many words. Words said and not meant. Words said and meant. Words divorced from feeling. Wounding words, words that conceal, words that reduce, dead words. If only words were a kind of fluid that collects in the ears, if only they turned into the visible chemical equivalent of of their true value, maybe an acid or something curative, then we might be more careful words do collect in us anyway they collect in the blood in the soul and either transform or poison people's lives bitter or thoughtless words poured into the ears of the young have blighted many lives in advance we all know people whose unhappy lives twist on a set of words uttered to them on a certain unforgotten day at school in childhood Or at university, we seem to think that words aren't things, yet they are powerful things. I can remember so clearly a conversation I had with my principal, where he outlined in no uncertain terms what a waste of life I was. And yet, I don't think he realized the impact that that would have had. And yet Peter calls us to something beautiful, something different. I almost feel like saying, "Will you join the revolution. A revolution in the way we talk to one another. A revolution in the way that we engage topics, even heated ones. It seems like we can all use a bit more gentleness and respect in the way of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, you who speaks life. You who speaks love. You who speaks so well. I long for us to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. You had this uncanny ability of using your words to challenge, but in a way that brought healing and life. In a way that wasn't destructive or harmful. And I pray for each one of us here today, God, would we begin this journey of walking in your footsteps with regards to the way we speak? Maybe some of us have been doing this for a long time and and we just needed to be encouraged about that. Great, God, please encourage us more. Maybe some of us have, have kind of wandered into territories where we haven't always used our words well or wisely. Please, God, would you come and help us? Maybe some of us need a dose of bravery, God, to step into a conversation and just be gentle and respectful and change the tone. Maybe we can say something that will heal Maybe we can say something that will build or bless. Maybe we can say something that's just centered with your love. Inspired, shaped, and directed by who you are. Gracious God, please help us. Walk with us. Amen.